Blog Talk Radio. Hello, this is Gigabit Nation, uh, public radio, talking to you today uh, about broadband and all the things that we can do to help get better, faster broadband everywhere it needs to be in the U.S. Uh, we have talked, obviously, a lot over the, the months about uh, broadband deployment and broadband deployment issues. I think that one of um, uh, one of the topics that doesn't get nearly enough attention that will be becoming more and more uh, critical to people's broadband projects is the issue of broadband adoption. And uh, I, I was having a conversation earlier with um, with our guest for today about the fact that. Uh, People may somehow have a misconception about what broadband adoption really is, but ultimately it comes down to it is the marketing and selling of access to the network, getting people online, whether these people are coming on for free, whether they're coming on as part of a digital inclusion program. Ultimately, at the base of all of this is is some sort of marketing activity, sales activity, uh, promotional activity in order to get people aware of broadband, aware of your network, aware of your services, and then getting them to become users of that. Uh, helping us out today in, in kind of clarifying what are, are the, the needs and the roles of broadband adoption, uh, we have the Program Director for Public Computing and Broadband Adoption, Laura Breeden, who's at the um, NTIA, uh, who is going to <clears throat> be our guest today, help inform listeners about uh, a lot of the mechanics of broadband adoption, but also a toolkit <clears throat> that NTIA has created to help uh, communities uh, with their broadband adoption efforts. Laura, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Craig. It's really a delight to be here and to get to talk about some of the wonderful things our grantees have accomplished. Excellent. So, uh, as I said, let's talk about, you know, starting this off with what is broadband adoption and when done right, what does it look like at the community level? Well, I'd like to say that broadband adoption is really about creating a competent, confident user of of broadband technology. And um, I say competent because it's a fairly complex skill set that you need in order to be able to um, use a computer, first of all, and then to use the Internet and the many online services that are available to use those effectively. Um, and I say confident because it turns out that the fear factor is very large. Um, if you look at who's online and who's not, some of the... Um, the demographics break down in ways that you might expect that is um, traditionally minority populations have had um, lower rates of broadband adoption and use um, as well as older people, people with less education, people with less income. Um, there are many factors that go into people's decisions to um, get online, but it turns out that uh, not having the confidence that you are smart enough to learn to use a computer or that you uh, have the skills that it takes to be able to navigate the Internet is a big part of it. So um, you have to be prepared to uh, meet people where they are and address those fears and help people over the, the initial um, sort of reluctance, uh, that sense that they have of intimidation about using uh, computers and the Internet. 
So, in many respects, it's about education, uh, motivation, and then ultimately you've got to put in there the, the call to action. But but first and absolutely. foremost, sorry, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say absolutely. So, the agency that I work for, which is the National Telecommunications and Information Administration, is part of the Commerce Department. Um, and our agency is the president's principal advisor on telecommunications policy and has been around since the late 1970s um, and has been concerned from the beginning about the issue of equitable access to telecommunications, whether that meant phone service or Internet or public broadcasting, uh, and has been actively looking at the question of the digital divide, as many people call it, since the early 1990s with survey data um, collected through the U.S. Census Bureau, which is one of our sister agencies here at the Department of Commerce. So we have a lot of data about who's online, what they do online. If they're not online, why, why aren't they online? And we know that the biggest factors that are keeping people from going online are, first of all, the cost, um, which that's a complicated issue, and we can unpack that a little bit when we talk later, but the cost of going online can be a very significant for people who are on limited incomes. Uh, and another uh, reason, and this is surprising to a lot of people who who are online and who just assume that it's part of life and really can't imagine not being online, um, people don't think there's anything online that's relevant for them. They don't think they need to be online. Their lives are fine the way they are, and they do their banking and their shopping and get their entertainment and their news and um, look for educational opportunity and for things to do with their families, and they do that all without going online. And so they haven't experienced what it might mean for them um, personally to have that capacity to go online. And in addition to cost and, and what we call in shorthand relevance, um, access to the computer or to the Internet can also be a big issue. So people don't own computers. They don't have computers that are capable of using uh, modern broadband, or they don't have um, Internet access uh, available to them because there are no providers um, or no affordable providers in their area. So I think when you're thinking about broadband adoption and how to encourage people to um, to take this first step and to get online if they're not online already, you have to think about the cost, the the relevance, and, and that's really an education issue. And then um, do they have access? Um, and, of course, the, the other factor that comes in is do they have the skills to um, to use online tools and information in a way that, um, as I said, can make them a confident and competent user of broadband. So um, a broadband adoption program to be really effective has to look at all of those factors. Um, what is it about getting online that's going to make a difference in somebody's life? How is it going to help them accomplish something that's meaningful to them? And how do you get over the barriers of low skills or, um, or high cost and help people get there? Mm -hmm. So to to um, to to summarize, 
there's an issue um, not necessarily of cost in the traditional sense of I, I spend X number of dollars to have the Internet access. You actually have a bigger cost, which is the, the, the cost of the computer, the cost of uh, a, you know, a quiet, safe place to use the computer, the, the, the cost of reaching a level of digital literacy to be able to use the Internet once they get onto the Internet. And all of those, those costs, those additional costs, if you will, um, you, you have to somehow in the process of broadband adoption address those costs. That Absolutely right. It's not. It's not just the cost of getting um, internet access. It's um, the cost of the computer, the cost of maintaining the computer, um, having the skills to uh, keep the computer uh, up to date and safe from viruses and spyware and malware and all those sorts of things, which people are very aware of. Um, Perhaps if they're not online, they're even more aware than some people who are online that they they have a lot of concern about privacy, safety, their children's safety, and so forth. Mm-hmm. So you have to address the the startup costs, the ongoing costs, the cost of the equipment, the cost of the maintenance of the equipment, and then there's a time cost, which for um, many people is a significant uh, commitment of time to acquire the skills to be able to get there. And I think the programs that we've seen in the field, and we um, we made about $450 million in awards in 2009 and 10 to all sorts of organizations from nonprofits to for-profits to state and local governments, uh, to both expand public access computer centers and also to promote broadband adoption in um, population groups that were not uh, as likely to go online as others. So these were older, less educated, poor, um, more likely to be minority uh, groups, people with disabilities who historically have not been um, users of computers or users of the Internet. And uh, the $450 million has unleashed a tremendous um, surge of creativity. Uh, people have been incredibly uh, dedicated and persistent and innovative in thinking about how to approach the question of broadband adoption and the and the broadband skills gap. So, um, we've learned a lot from the work that was done, has been done in the field, uh, and we've collected uh, that information into the the publication that you mentioned earlier, which is the Broadband Adoption Toolkit. Uh, mm-hmm. And I think, you know, there's a lot about this that people are surprised um, about. For instance, some, uh, it's easy to assume that anybody who has a computer at home is also going to be on the Internet. Well, that's not true. Mm-hmm. Um, it's easy to assume that uh, you know anybody who has had a taste of the Internet is going to want more. Well, that's not true. Um, and so I think when you get down to sort of ground level and you're dealing with specific um, groups and, and individuals, um, the the details really matter um so that if you're working with seniors with disabilities it's pretty different than working with um low income parents in the Miami Dade 
uh, school district in Florida. And mm-hmm. that's the kind of information that we've collected in the adoption toolkit. It's what worked in terms of reaching the farm worker or the small business person or the Latino entrepreneur or the middle school family in a in a big city like New York or Los Angeles. Mhm. So it requires then a fair amount of uh what we in the private sector side would probably refer to as market analysis. I mean, that's really what it comes down to, knowing as much about your market as you possibly can, how they act, how they behave, what their fears are, what their hopes are, you know, just a whole rafter of not just demographic information, but, you know, behavioral information, uh, you know, sort of a, just a, a whole profile and makeup of the of the individual that you're talking to, so you can figure out what messages work, what programs will work, uh, what partnerships to have. Um, I mean, that's, that's exactly right. Okay. Right. That's exactly right, Craig. Um, and let me give you an example. Um, we funded a project in Chicago. We actually, there are a pair of projects. One is a public computer center project that upgraded a number of um, facilities and added new facilities in uh, libraries and other public buildings, public institutions uh, in Chicago. And then we funded a sustainable broadband adoption project there in five very different and very specific neighborhoods with different uh, demographic profiles, different histories, um, all anchored by what's called a family resource center, which is a place where people could go for health information, for um, employment services, to learn about education and so forth. So these are, I think, in the the lingo would be multi-service kinds of agencies. Mm-hmm. And at every family um, service center, they set up a family net uh, room with computers and training opportunities. And they did something very smart, which is they went into the communities with um, a marketing firm and they talked to the people in the communities. Um, they talked to the small business people, the moms, the dads, the um, shopkeepers, uh, the young people, to get a sense of um, what they might want to do online, what they were doing online. And then they created a public outreach campaign, which was um, really well executed, and it used people from the community. So, And the ads appeared on the sides of buses and on bus shelters and um, – there were print ads and flyers as well, but very much targeted to the specific needs and the specific lifestyle of the people in those neighborhoods. So one that I remember in particular is a photograph of a Latina woman who is saying, um, when I went online, and this is in Spanish and English, when I went online, um, I was able to increase rest, uh, the business at my restaurant. Mm-hmm. Um, And I think that seeing people um, who are like you in the advertisements and hearing about specific benefits uh, that going online had brought was a really powerful uh, element of what they did. And um, they've also done some very careful observation and data collection. And what they found is that in those neighborhoods, those five neighborhoods in particular that were sort of saturated with these um, both um, outreach 
messages and with opportunities to learn um, that Internet use is actually about 15%. That's one 5% higher than in comparable neighborhoods where there was no program. So we know it can be effective. Um, and I think the key is getting the message to um, the person that you want to reach in a way that speaks to them very directly, that's very right. accessible to them. Mm-hmm. And then you have to back that up with opportunities to learn and with um, instructors who are both skilled and sensitive to to what people are, are bringing to the, the learning experience. Mm-hmm. Um, this might be good. Well, this is a good point to talk about the toolkit that NTI has created. Um, I, I, I took a look through this, and I first heard about it at the um, it was the, the Shelby event um, where they got all the award winners and folks from the stimulus program together in Washington not too long ago. And I was you know, pretty impressed with how this was put together. I mean, as a marketing person, and I've been doing technology marketing for over 20 years, uh, this is is a pretty good, well laid out document. Um, tell us about the, you know the mechanics of it and how you guys uh, c- came to put this together. Well, as I said a little bit earlier, um, first of all, thank you for those kind words. We're actually um, very pleased with the way the toolkit evolved, and um, I have to say that uh, nothing turns out well without a lot of effort and we did put a tremendous amount of effort um, into pulling this together and um, really have our grantees to thank as well as a lot of um, very dedicated people here at NTIA and on our Booz Allen Hamilton support team. Mm-hmm. Um, so we were watching as the program, as the grants really um, came to maturity and the programs were launched and they started to yield results. And people report to us um, every quarter on progress of their awards. And we were hearing just terrific stories from people about um, very specific problems that they had had and how they had overcome those problems. And we knew that broadband adoption, in part because the National Broadband Plan had been released in the spring of 2010, and also because the FCC and other organizations, as well as NTIA, were were doing uh, a lot to keep this issue sort of front and center. And it is a priority for the administration as well. So it's something that the president talks about. So we saw a lot of good things happening, and um, this is really the largest single investment that's ever been made in this kind of um, work or activity, and we thought that we we owed it to um, the taxpayers and to people who will continue to do this work because it's, it's not over, um, to harvest the really good ideas that people had come up with. So... And then we thought about how do we make this really useful so that it's like uh, a handbook so that you can, if you have a specific problem around um, broadband affordability or training or what kind of message to create or how to deliver the message, that um, that the, the toolkit is organized in a way that makes it very easy for you to go right to the kind of information that you need. Um, so we ended up, um, it does have some information um, about the issue of broadband adoption generally in the history, who's online, who's not, 
Um, how can you find out more about that kind of thing? And what do we know about why people are and are not um, online mm-hmm. or broadband users? Um, there's a uh, chapter that's sort of a basic um, program design 101 chapter. So as you think about this, you know, as a community or as an economic development agency or as an education provider or as a small business or a company, um, what elements do you need to think about as you begin to plan um, your program? Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's really that's really driven by knowing your community and making sure that you have engaged the right kinds of stakeholders and that you continue to engage um, as you roll out your program. Um, Then there are four basic chapters on the things that we've been talking about. So the first is on awareness and outreach. How do you um, create a message that's meaningful? How do you deliver that message? And how do you know if it's working? Mm-hmm. There's a there's a chapter on home computer and broadband service. How do you um, think about all the the cost barriers and other barriers to successful um, in home broadband use? Uh, whether it's a, uh, the cost of the computer or the problem of tech support or viruses or um, the cost of the Internet service. So what what are some things that people uh, can do to address those issues? Um, and then there are two chapters uh, that are related to training. One is about how do you structure the training? What kind of people do you need to um, teach the um, – teach the populations that you're trying to work with, um, what's the skill set that you're looking for, uh, where and how, when do you uh, hold the training activities. And then there's a chapter on um, curriculum and content. So it turns out that when people go online, they usually have something pretty um, specific in mind that they would like to accomplish. And... um, they may not know because they haven't been online what the possibilities are, but a conversation with someone about um, their hobbies, their family, their job situation, their educational needs can lead to um, uh, a very tailored and very um, meaningful experience for them uh, online. Uh, And so, a big part of training is making sure that um, I think of it as sort of just-in-time training. Is is the person getting the kind of information and skills they need to um, to learn to be motivated and to stay motivated? And mm-hmm. the, then within the the chapters, the examples are very specific. Um, and there are also some worksheets that you can use in planning, and there are um, some tips that we pulled out um, about things like how to use word of mouth or um, open source software or public-private partnerships. Um, there's a, a sidebar on computer refurbishing. Do you want to get into that business? If you don't want to get into that business, um, where do you look for recycled computers? So we tried to include um, as much information about all the components of the um, 
of the program uh, as we could so that that all the pieces would be there and that people mm-hmm. would not have to reinvent uh, this information. Hmm. Interesting, indeed. Now, how widely distributed has this uh, been since you uh, released it in, what was that, June that it came out or May? It came out at the beginning of May, and um, we launched it actually at the Schools, Libraries, and Healthcare Broadband Coalition Conference back, um, I think it was May 2nd. Um, there is a that's a pretty broad audience um and a lot of influencers are part of that coalition so it was a very good launch event for us um it's freely available on the internet you can download it from our website we have also done a number of promotional webinars we did one with the national league of cities we did one with um the uh, American Library Association and other library groups. We uh, have done one with HUD. We've done one with Connect to Compete. I'm sorry, we're about to do one with HUD. Um, Mm -hmm. And we've also uh, taken it to various conferences and meetings. For example, there was a Fiber to the Home conference. um, I think it was later in May, and we took a number of copies there and talked about it. And so um, I think there's been interest in it from a really broad spectrum of organization types, from you know city managers to, um, to library staff, and we are trying to make sure that we, we reach as many of those audiences as we can. Um, mm-hmm. I'm also... Uh, very happy that um, a congresswoman, um, Congresswoman uh, Eshoo from California, um, chose to make this the subject of a, uh, I'm, I'm not sure exactly what they're called, but um, basically a congressperson can do a um, a distribution of information to every member of Congress, and she chose to do that um, with the toolkit. So we think it's getting very wide distribution. We we don't have any way of getting direct feedback about um, how it's being used, um, but we know because there's been a lot of interest in it um, from a lot of different sectors um, and some positive feedback, we're fairly confident that it's being used in a lot of different arenas. And of course, we continue to look for opportunities to inform people about it. And um, you can email us or uh, contact us uh, by phone if you want to, um, if you'd like to talk about it or you have uh, questions or ideas. Mm-hmm. Have have you have have folks in your group considered setting up a blog uh, or of some sort to keep all of the readers slash users of the toolkit into some communication information feedback kind of loop? We really don't have the resources to do that at this point. Uh, um, we do have an ongoing um, series of webinars with the BTOP awardees, and we we have. Um, long-standing relationships with a number of other uh, stakeholder groups like Shelby and and library groups and education groups and um, and some that I'm sure I'm forgetting. Uh, so we have um, a number of ways to to 
uh, you know, sort of keep the the information in the air. Um, we don't have the resources to to really do the kind of job we would want to do with a moderated um, blog. Mm-hmm. You can use something called the digitalliteracy.gov portal to share resources if um, that is something you would like to do. And, you know, it may be that as um, the program starts to wind down, because most of the grants will be uh, wrapping up by the middle of 2014, um, that we will have more opportunities to to do this in a structured way. Mm-hmm. Are the folks that are using this, um, would you say they're, we've already sort of established that there's a fairly di- diverse group. Do you feel that these folks had a good handle on broadband adoption to begin with? Uh, because, I, I mean, I know that obviously, you know, you have these programs uh, that have drawn attention to the topic of broadband adoption, but are there a lot of folks out there that are still, say, grappling with, you know, well, what exactly is that? Or even, you know, have they fully come to grips with the fact that they need to think about how they're going to do it at all? Well, it's hard for me to generalize, you know, from here about it, but I'll make a couple of observations. One is that um, people often think that it's going to be a very straightforward matter of here's your low-cost Internet subscription and here's how you get on, right? Here's how you sign up. And, in fact, it's a lot more complicated than that, as which is what we've been talking about. So... Um, the message has to be bigger than you can get online and it's not going to cost that much. And I think many um, folks, when they start to think about this and about, you know, how do we bring people online who aren't online, uh, think that if they just make people aware that there's a lower cost way to do it, it's going to happen. And um, I think over and over again that the grantees saw that it was more difficult than that. It's really a multi-faceted problem. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing I would say about that is that um, every people learn very quickly because they get very um, very quick feedback if it's not working. Um, they don't always know what to do. I think many many people. Uh, are surprised by the level of apprehension and fear that new broadband users bring to the um, the question. Mm-hmm. So they haven't. They really did not anticipate and weren't prepared for um, <coughs> the kind of um it, one-on-one i would say it has to be there's a lot of one-on-one stuff that has to happen once mm-hmm. people are are interested um to get them into um some kind of a, a training program or class um because they're not confident and 
they have many, many fears about what being online might mean for them. Mm-hmm. Now, <clears throat> the the issue of of um, broadband adoption, though, getting getting users on to the the network, goes much beyond just your individuals and constituents or your low-income individuals and constituents. I mean, we have uh, businesses and, and, and health care facilities and, and so forth. Does the, um, <clears throat> does the toolkit address the bigger audiences that go beyond what I would consider, if, if you're reading the media, you know, the media sort of points out a, a specific type of person that we're trying to get online, you know, usually the currently unserved, the undereducated, you know, and that has become, I think, the face of those that you need to address. But but aren't you really talking about the whole universe of the community that's got to be part of the broadband adoption at some point? Mm-hmm. Right. So the way we refer to that internally here is um, institutional adoption, and you could also call it sector-based adoption. So um, healthcare is is a a good example area, or um, putting local government services online, or um, uh, getting schools online, or getting families of school-age children online. So those are all um, sectors where the for the institution or for the profession to become um, broadband users at a large scale requires institutional change it often requires cultural change it can also require um, a sort of restructuring of the economics of what they're doing and so um, and the toolkit really isn't designed to address that. It's really designed to address um, individuals and smaller groups. Uh, but we do have projects that we funded, and this is specifically because we were interested in these issues of what does it take to get um, an institution like a healthcare provider online, um, where we are looking at um, some of the barriers to adoption in in healthcare, which um, some of which have to do with the way medicine is practiced, some have to do with lack of availability of service in rural areas. There are um, there are economic issues about reimbursement. Who's going to pay for a service that's delivered over an electronic network as opposed to face to face? How do you bill for that? What is it? How do you code it when you um, send your reimbursement form to the insurer. So there are a a host of issues like that that are really um, not part of the the toolkit, but uh, that we hope to be able to do some um, sort of um, short lessons learned papers about. Um, And again, this would happen uh, as the project, more of them close out. Um, and we're we're looking at municipal government as one sector. We're looking at health care. We're looking at um, K-12 education because we actually invested quite a bit in projects that were school-based or focused on um, families of school-aged children. 
so what are some of the specific barriers in those sectors and what did we learn about how to address those right but that's that's not you know that's a that's a sort of whole different ball game than what the the toolkit is about mhm but i think it's important to 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 let the audience know that yes we are talking about these things but at the same time also um take into account that your <clears throat> your total broadband adoption program is going to need to look at more than uh called the usual suspects man it's probably a bad phraseology but <clears throat> but we we sort of i think come into it with one perception of we're targeting this audience with broadband adoption but in reality you're you're targeting everybody who is a potential paying non paying user of the of the network um right and i also think you know there are a lot of um organizations that are online but that really are not making the most effective use of what's available to them as organizations um and so there's a very important role for um intermediaries to play in, for example, working with small businesses. Um, a small business may be online, but they may not know how to use social media to Im improve their um, market penetration. They may not know how to uh, do sourcing online so that they can get better prices for raw materials or goods. Uh, you know, So there are a lot of – and that because the services that are available are evolving all the time – uh, it can be very hard to keep up with those. Mm -hmm. So I'll give an example. We funded a project in Vermont that was uh, run by a nonprofit organization called the Vermont Rural Development Council. And um, obviously their focus is, is rural. Um, and they worked in a number of small towns all over the state. Um, and they did a couple of interesting things. One is that they they created something called the Front Porch Forum, um, which is a platform, software platform that was designed by a local entrepreneur. Um, the Front Porch Forum is, um, it's really like a neighborhood-based social network. It's not global, it's not statewide, it's not even your whole town, it's really neighborhood-based. And they found that that has been a very effective way to help knit communities together and um, and promote the use of internet within these neighborhoods in smaller towns um, or even in, in larger cities like Burlington, Vermont. Um, something else they did was uh, a series of workshops with small businesses to help them understand um, more about how they could use the internet and broadband to benefit their businesses. Mm -hmm. And so their role as what we call an intermediary, that is, they're not they're not uh, small business themselves, but they are they're delivering services or technical assistance to small businesses. Um, so those organizations that provide the training, the support, the um, the technical assistance, they give the workshops, they show you how to build a website, they show you how to create an online email list of your customers and so forth. Those have a really critical role to play in all of this. And and that's, I think, particularly true when you're looking at um, sectors like healthcare or education, that um, having an organization that's 
very skilled at using broadband, <clears throat> using the Internet, but that also understands your business, the culture, um, the economics uh, of the sector that, that you're working in, um, those organizations are very powerful facilitators of change. Mm -hmm. What are some other uh, examples of, of success today? Because you're, you're pulling information from literally all over the, the country, and so I'd like to kind of just get an idea of what some other uh, folks have done, other communities have done in terms of, you know, just their creativity even. You know, what, what, what kinds of things are you seeing? Sure. Um, well, another community that I think has done a terrific job of um, both designing the the training, the learning to meet real needs um, that can uh, people can connect to right away, but have also done a great job of um, sort of creating a brand and an identity um, is a project that we funded. It's actually two projects in Philadelphia. One is run by the city of Philadelphia and is a public computer center project. The other is um, managed by the Urban Affairs Coalition, and it really focuses on the training side of things. But they work hand-in-hand, hand and because Urban Affairs has an, uh, relationships with a number of nonprofits that in turn support homeless people or veterans or people with disabilities or people with AIDS. Um, and the city has a lot of public facilities like libraries and schools where they've been able to um, upgrade or establish um, computer access points. Um, they work together. The the program has been branded as Key Spots. Um, Pennsylvania's the Keystone State, so everybody's familiar with that idea. Mm -hmm. And the Key Spots are where you go to use computers and to um, learn. And uh, they've tied in with the city's public information network, their 311 uh, network. Um, they have... Uh, done their ads and bus shelters and they've done flyers and they've done community events and so forth and so on. So they've created a real um, sort of citywide network of organizations with a brand that's very widely recognized. And um, I'm really pleased to say that the, they've done such a good job that even though their grant is ending, the mayor's office has announced that they're going to continue funding the program. Um, and I don't know at exactly what level. I just don't have that number on the top of my head. But um, So that's, a, that's an example of a terrific public-private partnership and one where they were very smart about creating a brand and an identity and using um, the city's networks to get it out as well as these nonprofit networks as well as the public um, media um, so that's a, one example. Let me think of another. There are there are really a lot to choose from, so it, it yeah, can be hard. Sometimes there's so many, it's hard to pluck them out of the air when you really like uh, you know need to pull one uh, immediately. I mean, I I haven't um, <clears throat> had a lot of time to focus on the adoption issue as well because so many people that call are at least calling me or asking about, the, you know, they're trying to get their business plan together to just get the thing built. Um, and, uh, and and so a lot of questions and so forth fall in that area. One of the things that I find 
um, I don't know, uh, I don't know, but troubling is exactly the right word, but I do get a little concerned when um, there is so much focus on the build-out issues and there's so much focus on the you know making the money to afford to the to afford the network but i feel like people are are not thinking about the adoption part enough and i think that in if they were to focus more on some of the adoption issues they might see a clearer or easier way to get the network finished to get it built to get it financed you know just by virtue of if, if you've done a good analysis of who needs the network and and who makes the best you know sort of initial um, <clears throat> uh, subscribers that you can find partners that'll help you actually address the marketing because you've looked closely at the the whole needs thing the thing that you described Lauren in the beginning about you know taking cl- a really detailed look at who your prospective um, users are. And, and I, well, I, I think that the thing that we saw most frequently. Um, and we did fund a number of projects that had um, an economic development focus. And what we heard over and over and saw in those projects is that if you um, if you want to understand how to use broadband as a as a facilitator of economic development, you have to it can't be a top down thing. You have to go to the communities. You have to understand what the potential is. You have to get the communities engaged in really analyzing what they have, what they might need, where they'd like to be, what the possibilities are. And then those solutions um, come from the bottom up. And uh, we saw that in Vermont, for example, in the project I talked about earlier. We saw it in Minnesota, um, we saw it in Wisconsin. Uh, I'm trying to think of other states specifically. I'll, I'll give a, um, an example that's slightly less related to economic development. But um, in West Virginia, we funded a project that um, was designed to improve broadband adoption among rural and rural people, and. They chose as their partners the um, local uh, fire stations. And the fire stations are institutions that are present in almost every rural community in West Virginia, and they're very familiar to people. The fire stations actually need broadband because they have to do a lot of um, both training of the emergency response personnel and also reporting um, of incidents and statistics and things. And that turned out to be a great partnership. Um, And I I bring that up because uh, I think it's a terrific example of going to the community um, and meeting them in a way that is very, very familiar and very comfortable um, and using the the knowledge that that trusted community institution has to um, create a foundation for your program. And what we saw in states like um, Wisconsin is that they had some really useful tools that communities could use to think about the problem of broadband and what do we want to do with broadband. The, um, The tools were really helpful to the community 
in working through and thinking about those issues and then in owning the solution. So, you know, I would say that from the standpoint of a community, whether it's for education or economic development or um, even public safety, you want to be able to engage people in the community, give them some tools and maybe a framework for thinking about all of this. And and some of that is included in the toolkit. Um, and then make sure that the the solutions are coming from them and not from someone else. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> one of the uh one of the audience members in the chat room has a question about uh the online computer library center and I gather mm-hmm. they were a contributor of ideas and information to to NTIA as you guys were developing this uh this toolkit. What what kinds of things did they uh suggest that were part of this? Um your caller or your your um your listener may be referring to um the work that Angela Seifer did for us. Um mm-hmm. Angela is now at the Online Computer Library Center or OCLC. Um during the time when she worked with us on this project, she was actually an independent consultant. Uh, and okay. Um, Angela is someone who's been in the field for quite a long time. Um, She managed the statewide community computing network in Ohio. Um, She worked on one of our grants, the One Community Project. Um, And she's very much familiar with the field, has been involved for a long time. So uh, Angela's role was to um, help us identify good examples for the toolkit. And that was something that that the whole staff here was engaged in, um, as well as uh, people in the field. We asked people for suggestions. Um, Angela helped us put all of those ideas together, and she did a lot of the interviews with people in the field um, to make sure that we had the details right, because the details are very important. Mm-hmm. Um, OCLC it has been a great partner in other ways. They are the home of something called Web Junction, which is a um, public access computing uh, portal for public libraries. And uh, they have been terrific about working with us, about uh, cross-promoting our information uh, and um, making sure that the information is accessible to librarians. Mm-hmm. Coolness. That makes sense. Um, let me ask mm-hmm. a question. We've got about uh, 10 minutes left here. What seem to be some of the elements for success that you have found consistent across uh, a lot of these uh, these projects? Um, I would say you need good project management skills, first of all. You need to be able to plan. You need to be able to... Um, hire people, um, create a schedule, um, deliver things, get some feedback, fix things when they're not working. So project management is tremendously important. I think also being able to uh, engage with the stakeholders is is really um, critical. And the projects that have been the most successful have had really strong partnerships often among um, groups from many different sectors. Um, 
one that comes to mind um, right away is um, this small business up in uh, upstate Maine in rural Washington County, and the business is a um, wireless internet access provider called Axiom Telecommunications, and their project was designed to work with um, blueberry farmers and fishermen because those are the two biggest industries in their county, and to help develop really specific um, tools that they could use to help manage their businesses. And it was sort of an R&D project in a way. Um, uh, As they got to know the... um, the specifics of the the businesses, they were able to work very directly with people to understand their needs and then to craft solutions for them. Um, but they also worked with the main state library, which was another one of our grantees, um, and they worked with local government, and um, they were just very effective at partnering with all kinds of organizations. And I think that has been a tremendous um asset for the organizations that have been able to do it. Uh, and then I think uh, just stick to like <laughs> not giving up. Um, and when you have a problem, um, pushing through and looking for ways to solve it has been really important. Um, projects have really tapped into a tremendous amount of creativity, Um you know, in the way that the programs have been presented and the way they've been delivered um, and in the way that people have chosen to um, recognize and reward participation in the programs. So um, One Economy, for example, has a um, community connectors program which trains young people um, in computer skills and then the young people actually work in the community and they have a network for the digital connectors and online network and they trained about 2,500 um, kids from all over the country. Um, So that kind of um, recognition and um, sort of community building has been, I think, critical for the the successful projects. Mm -hmm. The the one thing that I uh, tell a lot of folks on the build-out side, you know, people who are asking questions about deployment and all of that, <clears throat> I will often say that, uh, you know, don't try to do everything all at once because that's often when people just get overwhelmed and their projects have, have severe difficulties. Could the same thing be said about broadband adoption programs? Like, let's not try to get everybody online at one time, but kind of partial this exercise out a little bit? Well, the point you made earlier about um, really understanding the market and being very specific about the characteristics and the needs of the group that you're working with. So, you know, uh, many people told us that although they had sort of general marketing campaigns and they might have been, for example, statewide, the the word of mouth the really targeted outreach was more effective than a general, very broad campaign. Now, I think at the mm-hmm. level of the cities where the the geography is much smaller um, and the, the campaigns could really focus on the identity of a particular neighborhood or um, 
a particular demographic that those were much more successful. But um, really getting the message right and understanding who it is that you're communicating with um, are just essential to getting this to happen. And often that does mean really high-touch activities. I mean, mm-hmm. going to, you know, if in the Native American world, it means going to the tribal council meetings. Um, if you're working in a rural area, it means going to where rural people do their work and do their shopping. Um, so I would say that um, you really, <clears throat> you can't have a one-size-fits-all approach to this because it's it's a multifaceted problem. Mm-hmm. Now, this might be our last question. We've got about three minutes left. Is there a value in um, endorsements for driving the, the broadband adoption effort? Uh, I bring this up, but there was a campaign that I was sent a PowerPoint slide show for, and they were showing out their whole marketing campaign, and they pulled one of the local pro football players, and he was like a prominent feature of a bunch of ads that included lawn signs and door hangers and, and the whole nine yards. But it was kind of interesting because, you know, that's standard fare in a lot of other types of product marketing. Do you think that's useful in broadband adoption? You know, I really have no idea. Um, I'm not aware of any of our programs that did something like that, where they used a, a celebrity to... Mm-hmm actually bring people in. I could imagine that for certain very specific activities, um, like getting a job, uh, that might be effective. I don't think for something really general, like get online, it would necessarily work. I mean, I think you have to drill down to what am I getting online for? Mm-hmm. Okay, so so maybe avoid the the uh, the the star the star power approach to uh, to to adoption campaigns. Then, well, it might work. I mean, I, I to really you know it's an interesting idea, and I know Magic Johnson a few years ago um, was very involved in setting up some programs in urban areas. I don't really know what's happened to that, but I'm sure that you know he's a very because he's very well-known and very talented and a very winning kind of person, um, he got, and it got a lot of attention. I just don't know. Um, I don't know whether this would work or not. I'm not aware of any um, of our grantees uh, or the programs that we funded who did something like that. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, just forgot to throw that one out there just in case. Uh, so we're going to have to wrap. It's uh, It's been a very good hour and a very productive discussion of broadband adoption. I think there needs to be more of these in-depth discussions as people get more and more for building broadband. But this has been a good first start, and I wish you you know great luck and much success with the toolkit. And and thank you very much for for taking the time to be with us today to to talk about adoption. Absolutely, and feel free to direct people to NTIA if they have um, other questions or would like to um, contribute information. Excellent. I've put the uh, URL out on Twitter and also uh, in the uh, description for this show, so there's a link there as well. Um, again, Great. Thank you. 
thank you very much. And our audience, thank you very much for being with us again. Tomorrow we're going to look at uh, the, the changing face of TV as being driven by uh, high-speed broadband access. Um, thank you very much again, folks. Have a great day, and we'll talk again soon.